are you enjoying Pal World? I am. It's very stupid. It's like obviously incomplete and there's weirdness everywhere. A bunch of the like things you can build in your base are like clearly assets taken from asset libraries and not like modeled <laughs> for the game and stuff. But there's something oddly compelling about it, especially if you like don't look at any internet information about it and you just like explore the world and stumble on stuff. Because it's open world, right? It's not procedurally generated. It is like a kind of manually built world. And so there's weird little hidden things. And hopefully they'll like add more, you know, immersive stuff in the future now that they just got like $30 million overnight. Oh, from sales? Yeah. Wow. They sold a million copies the first day it was on Steam. That's crazy. Yeah. It also like clearly... It's, it's like way way more than the copying your homework meme like there's an electric pal with a lightning tail that's definitely not pikachu there's two fire foxes there's two different foxes that are fire creatures like it's why are there two vulpixes <laughs> well you got vulpix and then you got finnegan mm -hmm. right yeah i guess they just had to have the same number yeah you can't like short a pokemon somewhere right the asset they, is there but you know it's version one and they've already got different forms of you know multiple of the pals we've got like oh, do they ice, evolve ice forms no there's no evolution but there's like ice versions of like traditionally electric pal and stuff like <laughs> that you know give it some variety for half a second, I thought you were going to say, no, they don't evolve. They digivolve. They transform, yeah. <laughs> they upgrade. There's no evolution. Come on. That would be crazy. I have a grand piano on the roof of the house that I built in my base. Okay, that doesn't seem like a practical place for a piano. Well, it's a piano bar that I built on top of my roof. You're wasting a perfectly good grand piano. It's going to get rained on. It's going to get ruined. It was already kind of like beat up looking. The model is kind of beat up looking when you start. So I think it's fine. It'll just walk it off. I thought I considered having two pianos and making it a dueling piano bar. That may be the next iteration of this. everyone welcome to episode 328 of the mtg grindcast the spikiest podcast in all of central north carolina we are your hosts i'm chris castor rappel with me is lee mcleod hi lee hi chris how you doing i'm doing great how are you i'm doing fantastic to, to one-up you oh man even better than me that's i'll just go sit in a corner then you no got no me. wait no come back <laughs> we have to do a podcast <laughs> okay okay i'll do the podcast so today we are going to talk about modern a little bit since the European RC occurred and we got to at least take a little bit of a look at that. And the South American RC. Oh yeah, the South American RC did too. I guess I was mostly just paying attention to your Eurocentric well, magic it's, mindset. It's a much bigger tournament. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> also the, the, the South American RC was... At least the top eight was dominated by Scam, which, which is kind of wild. 
interesting because uh, Scam got demolished in Ghent. So, but anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt your intro. You're on a roll. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about modern a little bit after those RCs, and then we're just gonna do some some more previews. We we got a whole set to look at. So new we'll, cards, new cards, new cards, new cards. Yeah, that is the plan for today. Before we get into it, want to thank. Our new patrons. I want to thank all of our patrons, but want to shout out our new patrons. We actually got a whole bunch recently, which I guess I should win an RCQ and top eight uh, challenge in the same weekend with like a interesting deck more often, because I think a bunch of people signed up to uh, take a look at the sideboard guide. So thank you all for signing up. That is one of the nice little things. I, I don't subscribe to a lot of written magic content anymore because it's really hard to like get consistent ones but i will the drop of a hat if i need to know how to sideboard the deck like with the silver deck i subscribe to jason mm-hmm. uh, ilmtg or whatever their acronym is for the silver deck yeah because they had words about it they've written three articles about it now and i really appreciated that and it's a nice little way to you know get information fast in a world that's very hard to find information about specific things yeah, I mean, basically every time that I have gotten very comfortable with a deck in a format, like I've started off with someone else's sideboard guide so I can like understand the basic philosophy there. And then generally I don't end up following it to the letter or anything like that. But, <laughs> you know, like picking up Scam for the first time, like using Jesse's sideboard guide to start out with was really helpful because it like gave me sort of the baseline of here is what you do. And I could figure out how much I liked each of those plans and stuff and change things that didn't work. And it helped me like know that I was starting from a reasonable place and not just guessing at things. Yeah. I, it's funny. You said that you don't hear to the site written sideboard. Cause I actually physically wrote out sideboard uh, mm-hmm. guides for slow Girk the, before the first RCQ I played it in wrote it out on a sheet of paper i put it in my deck box and i just rarely refer to it at all (laughs) well because when you take the notes then it's in your head and you don't need to right like i'm more thinking about the reasons like -hmm. like writing it down not just like typing it out and printing it out like writing it down i'm thinking about why i'm doing things and then i also wrote my little affirmations on my sideboard guide which i saw someone do on twitter that i really liked (laughs) you know like you will mulligan bad hands. You are a good magic player. That, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was nice to look at. <laughs> yeah, so you know, I I put up a sideboard guide for Demir with some notes about the all the like big matchups in standard. And so hopefully people found that helpful. And I like I didn't really publicize the fact that the sideboard guide is on the patreon except through mentioning it on the podcast because i don't think it makes sense to be a patron unless you listen to like i don't think being a patron just for a sideboard guide every is like really a thing that makes a ton of sense so hopefully it is mainly people who listen to the podcast who are you know becoming a patron with a a little extra incentive and yeah welcome so thank you so much to michael john purple platt benjamin matt the radar tech nick tyler lane david sam seth chip don zach and joe we really appreciate everyone's support whether you are a new patron or a continuing patron it it really helps us to uh be able to continue making content so a huge huge shout out to to y'all for that thank you very much 
I am still waiting on the new tokens to be delivered. They should, they, they have reached the US. They should be here within a couple of days and then I will send them out. Nice. My, <laughs> I, I also ordered some cards or for some tokens from the same place and I, my, my tracking number doesn't work. So who knows when they'll show up. Yeah, so the tracking numbers never work on the Make Playing Cards website. You have to go to Google and type in tracking and then the number. Or, or there, there's like a website that that automatically figures Spoops out it. like what you need to be tracking through and then it will find it out. But yeah, the it never works on the website. That is funny. So we should start off with modern because I don't actually want to talk about modern for all that long today. I mean, Ghent happened. It revealed what appears to be uh, kind of an intensely boring modern format. I don't know if well, this is a at least intensely stagnant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure the game. You know, the games are modern games. If you enjoy the modern gameplay generally, like this isn't not that. But the meta game specifically was you know about five top decks if you look at the top eight we've got three yog and two rhinos in the top eight and then the rest of the top 16 is only amulet yog and rhinos uh there is also murktide and scam around although neither of those are particularly good choices scam got pretty wrecked with like a 46 percent overall win rate it was behind versus both yog and rhinos Nothing really popped up as like a neat meta breaker. Like we knew that these were the good decks going in. The only thing surprising was that like Rakdos did so badly against the field. And the the rest of it is kind of just like, yeah, Rhino's good, Amulet good, Yogg good. That's modern these days. I want to talk about Scam just a smidgen more because mm -hmm. I think it is, like I said, it did really well in the South American RC. Yeah. And it was heavily represented in this tournament. So it's not just like a bad choice or anything. Right. But I do think it is solidly kind of a 45% deck across the board with high roll potential. Yeah. Uh, and and some of your matchups are like really good, like uh, Living End or Tron. Those are classically good matchups for Scam. And they didn't get worse for you, like after losing your, your Furies. No, the Livia matchup actually got significantly better against at least players who like had an understanding of what the the plan should be for the matchup. <laughs> but when you're playing against like Rhinos, Yogmoth, Cascade, Murktide, like all the decks you expect people to play, you're you're kind of a dog in all this matchup still. Yeah, I mean, Scam used to be a reason not to play Yogmoth, right? But now with no fury and scam, Yogg is just like reasonably ahead against the Rakdos deck. I was listening to uh, Brandon Osborne, I believe his name is, on the Bolt Zone podcast, mm -hmm. who is a, a notable Yogmoth player, and he said he doesn't like the scam matchup with Yogmoth now because not because it's worse. the The scam deck is worse, but because the Yogmoth sideboards have evolved to not worry about scam. So you don't have like your Elvis choruses or your one rings, which just win you the game against scam. No question. Gotcha. So it's a little more fair than it used to be, but I still don't I like I don't want to play against it if I were playing scam, you know? Yeah, I saw multiple matches on camera of, of Yogg against scam. And basically when scam did not 
have grief scam y'all just found a yawgmoth at some point and it was not remotely beatable for for rectos and that that seemed to be a way that like a lot of games played out yeah it's also in my mind every time i've played the matchup it's been the doffy voidwalker show like grief scam is mm-hmm. good but you don't really have the the fury to stabilize you once they've put a bunch of creatures into play against your grief so the Dothy Void War actually stops them from doing a lot of their stuff. Uh, that's mattered a lot to more to me than like just the yeah. scam hands. It, yeah, I mean, it stops them from like comboing and stuff for sure. But the card you getting value, getting value off Grist. Yeah, like a twofold is, is pretty nice. Sure. But yeah, much more fair matchup and and the inability to like punish them. You know, the fact that Yogg just gets to play out all of its mana dorks with no fear and then that enables all of its other cards, I, I think is pretty transformative to the matchup. And, you know, that sort of thing where you never have to be afraid of overextending into scam so you can maximize all of your resources that you do have available to you is, you know, why this deck got kind of kind of messed up at Ghent. I, I I don't know that I have a specific explanation for why it did well in South America, but I do know that people were pretty aware of having to play against Scam, at least at the top tables. Like one of the main things that I'm thinking of is Arne Hushinbeth just had two stern scoldings in his main deck and another one in his sideboard and stuff like that when when people are preparing in that way for both scam and obviously that card's also really really good against yogmoth so it's just very applicable against two of the big decks that you can play against when people are doing stuff like that then scam is really going to suffer and yeah it's just you know just a deck now yeah as as far as win rates and like the share of the tournament yogmoth was the most winning deck in the room at that tournament Mm -hmm. Uh, among the like very highly played decks, yeah, uh, Yagma had almost a thousand matches, which is on par with a, a scam and rhinos. Rhinos did win the tournament, and there's been a lot of talk about rhinos just kind of dominating modern now, which I don't think is quite accurate. It is a it is a good deck. Yeah, and like like if we look at outside of this tournament, we look at like the ongoing numbers like since the fury ban i think rhinos has an almost exactly 50 percent win rate in like all modern events combined that we have data for and i think that's it's kind of elegant because rhinos does feel like the most 50 percent modern deck that has ever existed yeah i, I think it's really good it's a really good 50 percent deck uh and you you get to spike some uh amulet did not do i, I thought amulet going into like this modern season with mm-hmm. like maybe a month prior was going to be one of the best choices the best decks but it hasn't really shown that to me yet uh it 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 does well it performs it's just not dominant the way i thought it would be well i think the problem is that we've hit a point where at this rc amulet was 10 almost 10 percent of the metagame like this isn't like a three or four percent deck that gets that the people who show up with it are only the people who have been playing it for years and know all the lines. It's, you know, people who are slightly less experienced with it. And also when it's that amount of the metagame, then, you know, there's a reason that everybody's playing Magus of the Moon over Blood Moons in their sideboards right now. And it's because of Amulet. And that's a thing that the deck has to deal with and struggles to. Yeah, and three of the most popular decks are all Blood Moon decks. You get Rhinos, Scam, and Murktide, which mm-hmm. is a popular deck 
despite me also thinking it's very bad. <laughs> I think it's not very bad, but it's not a good choice. It's it's like a below 50% deck. It's just not like horrifyingly bad. I think you just get wrecked so hard by like Yawgmoth specifically that mm-hmm. it's not worth going through that, especially if people keep picking up Yawgmoth the way they have been and it keeps winning. I, I don't get the appeal of Merktide. I know I can never convince someone to drop the deck. I, I'm not given up on that. Yeah. No, it's a it's a way of life. Uh, but one thing that did surprise me on the uh, the Ghent data is actually how well four color Omnath did. Like when I look at these 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 giant graphics, these matrices, I just kind of like look across the lines and see how much red or green is in the their matchup spread. And you know, the more green you have and the less red, the better your deck is as a whole. Yeah, and you can ignore like some horrific matches. Uh, thinking back to you know the the Lotus Field versus Enchanties match in Pioneer, <laughs> which is like a zero percent. But yeah, who cares? Like we, we'll just dodge it. Yeah, like you, you can ignore a, a bad matchup just noting that that's bad. The four color Omnath deck really good against the field, as it turns out. Like like just like scanning across the matchup matrix, it's not great against Yawgmoth, but it's not horrific at like a. 45 to 50 percent matchup uh the only matchup it's bad against is titan and the data we've given over 20 matches 40 percent mm-hmm. win rate everything else seems pretty good for it and it this is kind of primed by nasif playing through a showcase with the deck i think he was the first one i saw that tried to really bring it back and if numbers i haven't really seen a lot of gameplay of this but if numbers like this continue i would not be surprised to see modern shift again towards that not not towards like four color being a dominant deck or anything, just towards it being in the format. So yeah. it allows shift in the other top decks. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. It's something to see, to see it behind against Yawkmoth, though, because that used to be like a place that it buttered its bread. Like I played four color for a little bit and I don't think I ever lost to Yawgmoth, but that was back in the I have lots of furies in my deck period of time. It was also prior to Agatha's Soul Cauldron, too. That's true. Yeah, some of that was prior to Soul Cauldron, and Soul Cauldron just makes those grindy matchups. Yeah. It, it gives a lot of dimension to all the long matchups. And a weird, really weird dimension to the Ogmoth Mirror. Yeah, and I mean, a- another thing that that has done is repaired the Rhinos matchup for Yogmoth. Like, it's still not, like, good necessarily, but in... You know, in this tournament, we've got Yogg at 42% against Rhinos, which, you know, you you go back a year and a half ago or so, and that was an unwinnable matchup for Yogmoth. And now it's maybe not a coin flip. But also, if you look at the, you know, big metagame matrix from, like, all of the, the tournaments that have happened since the Fury ban, it's, like, closing in on 50%, which is pretty wild for a matchup that traditionally was, like, an unwinnable one. And a lot of that is just Soul Cauldron. If you're going to kill all my stuff, eventually I'll get a Grist under a Soul Cauldron and win here. Go off to the races or or backdoor Yawgmoth you killed because I have an artifact that, like, your cards don't line up that well against. Yep. I, I, Modern looks kind of stagnant right now, but the the highlight of this four color deck, I think, threatening to shake things up is interesting to me. I'm willing to mm-hmm. give it, you know, a couple more weeks. Granted, I have not really seen anyone talk about four color, and you, this is the kind of deck usually people love to jump on. 
like the first time it has its lovers you know just like murktide yeah i don't know whether they've been teased away by other decks like rhinos or what have you but i would i would be interested in seeing some churn amongst the top decks yeah creativity has a kind of similar matchup profile in, including having a very very good scam matchup interestingly I, I i don't think that these numbers necessarily reflect reality but i'm just kind of not a believer in creativity in modern in general it just doesn't it's never ever impressed me that much so i i, I agree with you i i've never really been impressed by creativity but i do know that one of its major like claims to fame in the pr- previous format was it was really good against rhinos <laughs> Uh, that, mm-hmm. The data doesn't really bear that out right now, and it also is looks pretty bad in the unpopular decks of the format, the like Hammer Time domain, uh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, the the stubborn denial deck definitely beats it up. So it's it's kind of weird how it plays out similarly to the four color deck with a lot more vulnerabilities. Mm-hmm. And especially when one of the main decks right now is Amulet and there are a bunch of Blood Moon decks in the top tables, I don't think it's wise to try to creativity. Yeah. But I also haven't done a lot of research into creativity and seen new builds. So I could just be thinking of like really outdated builds from Right. You haven't the put 12 silences into a creativity deck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> For through all the meme Twitter posts. Um, I also was looking at like hardened scales as matchup profile and I was like, all right, this makes a lot. And then I got to amulet and it was at 20% versus amulet. Oh yeah. That is, matchup is horrific. I, 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 I knew it was playing. bad, but this is that, that is, I, I, I don't think I can ever certainly not. If amulet is 10% of the metagame, feel comfortable registering a deck with a 20% matchup against it. No, I mean, hardened scales is fun and it's, nice that evoke still exists and you can like fight against it mm-hmm. it can randomly have game against yagmoth because your cauldrons are also very good and it becomes like a very cauldron centric matchup yes a lot yeah, of the time sure. i play it but I, I don't it doesn't like have a spot it's not like a very good deck in my opinion it's just solid and fun and it's good against scam i don't right. i don't think that's enough to less important these days and perhaps will become even less important over time i I also do think it's good against rhinos but it's not like incredible against rhinos it's just sure on on your average draw and their average draw your creatures are just bigger than theirs outside their rhinos pretty easily but you also have a lot more room than they do to slip up and like not draw scales effect and just not be able to do that (laughs) where rhinos doesn't really have that kind of fail rate (laughs) It also depends a lot on like the Rhino sideboard. Like, is Rhinos running Forces of Vigor? I mean, that matters, but I, I expect every green deck when I play Hardened Scales to have a million Force of Vigors in their sideboard. Just <laughs> mostly because of Amulet, to be honest. And you just adapt from there. Like, you play your mil- million Welding Jars and you sequence your stuff differently. Like, it, it's, it's just a fact of life. Not great, but it's, it's yeah. what it is. Well, I was listening to uh, Gabe and Canister's podcast, and they were talking about their lists that they, that they were going to register for Ghent. And Gabe was playing Rhinos, and he's going over his like sideboard cards and stuff. And he was talking about how like he was kind of light on Amulet Hate and wasn't running like was down to like 
like he had the moon effects, but he he wasn't running any force of vigors, and then Canister just like lets out like a, a holy cannoli as he is like, <laughs> as he's just like this is the version of, of rhinos that I want to play against. Yeah. <laughs> the zero man interaction is very good against the amulet. Yeah. That's a, that may be a hot take. Yeah. The zero mana kill two of your things that your entire hand was depending on. Like, even if you forget to board in your force of figures against an amulet and they know you have them because it's an open deckless tournament, they're still going to play around it. <laughs> so it's even <laughs> still better to have it in your deck than not. Yeah, having none in the open deckless tournament, it definitely, that, that can bite you. <laughs> but that's really all I've got to say about modern. Did you want to go over anything, like, specific other than that? No, that's it. I'm kind of glad that I don't have uh, an RC coming up to play it because this modern format doesn't speak to me and also i'm just really enjoying goofing around and playing standard so yeah standard's been really fun I, yeah. i've been really enjoying it i do you know what you would play if you had to like three weeks or two weeks because the usrc is in a couple weeks what what you would try to play ideally i would have started practicing yawgmoth earlier it would probably have been my plan so you're leaning towards yawgmoth i think so yeah now you're traditionally a living end gamer is that yeah. horrific I don't think it's horrific. I think that the metagame will still be heavily, like a little too heavy on scam for me to feel comfortable playing it unless I manage to figure out a plan against it. But really, Fury was key to that matchup and the only generically playable card that is also fixes a lot of the scam problems. You need to like reach for some pretty bad stuff like dismembers and things to do similar work. And I, I wouldn't be super interested in that. I, I do think that you can have a reasonable matchup profile. And, and these numbers on this matchup matrix are a little weird. Like, I don't think that the, like, living end versus amulet number is correct. Because that matchup feels, has always felt, like, tremendously good for a living end. And, it, like, not close at all. And I, I don't really know what could have changed to make that different well, um, so. we do have half less than half as much data for living in as we do like the top, right. the, the top five decks right but i do think that like you know yawgmoth is much closer with no furies and living end and stuff and and you know the deck is probably fine but that scam matchup is tough and i think it's like really possible to play against it two or three times in day one and that you know that's just too difficult i would say yeah i gotcha i would i would also be on on yawgmoth i have played that deck a lot now and it's really good <laughs> yep i i think it is the like i can run out all of my dudes and never get furied part of playing yawgmoth is really really nice now you just don't have to worry about that ever and also there's not a lot of decks that are trying to contain you really a lot of decks are just trying to kill you before you can kill that. Yep. And if as long as you can keep your head above water and just develop your board for free, and you can because there's no fury anymore. Yep. Uh, if you can overwhelm them, you're good to go. And Yawgmoth is exactly the type of deck that can do that. Yeah, just land a Yawgmoth at some point and that will catch you right back up. Yeah, sometimes Gross is enough to disrupt them, like mm -hmm. hitting a young wolf to kill their guy. Uh, there's a lot of neat little tricks for you know yawgmoth adjacent stuff yeah for sure deck is really good 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think it gets like you don't have to worry about acquiring cards for the from the uh the new set because I don't really think it gets anything. I'll, like I'll talk about Insidious Roots later when we get to it. Mm-hmm. But I, I I think that card's a lovely card. I love, but yeah, nonsense. Probably not a modern playable card. Yeah, yeah. I think that this set doesn't look immediately like it has a significant impact on modern, but obviously we have been tricked before. So if it does have a significant impact on modern, I don't think it will be found like in the day you have to acquire cards for the RC. It's it's sleepers in here, if anything. Right. Uh, You want to start going over some of these cards? I do want to start going over some of these cards. Great. Anything in particular you want to start with? Can we start with Insidious Roots? Do you have it on this thing? Yeah, you do. I do, yeah. I think this card is really sweet. Also, this art, really, really nice. I know it's not colorful, so it's not your cup of tea. No, I I really like this art. I think think this card has two of my favorite arts in the set, which are both both arts of it. Nice. We're we're talking about the base art, the the Jeremy Wilson one. So Insidious Roots is a two-mana enchantment. It's a black and a green creature tokens you control have tap add a mana of any color and whenever one or more creature cards leave your graveyard create an o1 plant token then put a plus one some counter on each plant so this card's very cool the trick is it doesn't do anything <laughs> on its own it right. does actual nothing you like really have to build your deck around it <laughs> uh, or or it fits in like pretty neatly to a deck that already exists i have seen people talk about this in the context of yagmoth because of the, it's a mana hungry deck, uh, and the ability to turn on you know Carlin Garden tokens or insect tokens or Orcish Bowmaster tokens to make them into mana creatures is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And the the second text, whenever one more cards leave your graveyard, make a plant, and then your all your plants get bigger. That's a little harder to make work in Yawgmoth, but it does work with undying creatures. It works with Agatha's Soul Cauldron. Uh, it doesn't matter how they leave or where they're going. It just if as long as a creature card leaves your graveyard you get a plant so all those cards work with it i think this card kind of sucks though in that shell because it doesn't do anything yagma has a million mana creatures already mm-hmm. its problem really isn't producing mana it's doing stuff with the mana and this card doesn't allow you to do anything with the mana it produces which is kind of a problem right I have seen other proposed shells. This is my favorite card in the set, by the way. So I'm not trying to, like, just shit on it. <laughs> no, you're just saying it's not good enough for the best deck in modern, probably. That's yeah. reasonable. I, I have seen a lot of, or I've been thinking about other kind of combos you could have with it in modern. Uh, there's the cat cauldron combo. Mm-hmm. Every time you sack a food to put a cat into play, you get a plant, and the plants get really big. So for each food you have or for each uh, oven you have you can make a very large plant army very quickly yeah and if you're only half stepping this you still get the the plants that you can use for mana or you know blockers and hackers whatever mm-hmm. and usually those decks have a lot to spend their mana on that is a pioneer legal combo so you can mm-hmm. do whatever you want with that format uh, in modern you have access to urza saga and all the other mana sinks like asmore cookbook and daredevil yeah, also combos with this that. <laughs> that's why i was about to go into <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah because when you have asmore and you cookbook you get your chase daredevil when it goes back to your hand you make a plant so every time you do that every cookbook you have you get a plant now i don't know 
realistically, if you can put all of those cards in one deck. It's a lot of kind of do-nothing components in one deck, yeah. They also don't really work well together. Right. At all. They have food on them, but they right. don't mesh. Because <laughs> you want to use your food for the cat and do other stuff with your mana. And Asmore just wants you to stockpile food, use it to power up your tokens, and use them as removal spells. Generally, so I am very skeptical of any brew that includes cat oven in modern that has never quite been good enough in modern <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i will try to play this with chatterfang mm -hmm. uh, and cat oven because that's just something i thought about i don't expect it to be good but i it's i'm like a near certainty to play with the card anyway <laughs> yeah yeah i mean this is a really cool card it's got some amount of like it refunds you mana potentially when you play it. That's always really good. And then it can be this value engine over time if you have ways of triggering it. Obviously, the joke in set is that collect evidence triggers it. I don't know how much of that becomes relevant in constructed. You know, there is the like collect evidence traverse the Ulvenwald and stuff, but that may be for smaller formats. But yeah, the. Like in modern with Underworld Cookbook is interesting. You do have a lot of cards that only have text in specific situations, which is kind of tough. But, you know, Cat Oven with this thing really kills, like, just like the plants will either buy you enough time that Cat will drain them out, or you just like assemble a gigantic board. Like, that's legitimately pretty powerful. Yeah, I, I'm kind of wondering how a shell and pioneer with this would work. Mm -hmm. with cat oven and possibly some sort of food shell like maybe you can have uh experimental confectioner which is a card that whenever you sacrifice a food you get a rat token yeah so that's another token for the token gods well i think you want to see if there are other ways to fit some creature token gener just like other decent cards that make creature tokens because if you have two creature tokens in play when you cast this this costs you zero mana so that's nice to set up yeah I haven't really delved deep into the cat cauldron adjacent token creators, though. I will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, true. But this is probably my favorite card in the set, at least right now. It, it feels for how like kind of specific it is. It does feel really open ended. There's a lot of different things that you could do to enable it. And that that's it's really neat. It's a very cool card and it doesn't really do anything on its own. So you have to really think about how you're going to abuse it. And I really like cards like that. So it's, it's a real Icar Wellspring type card. Yeah, it's an Agatha Soul Cauldron, a Wellspring. Mm -hmm. Cauldron's kind of the same way. It doesn't, it, it's really bad as a plus one plus one counter card, which is the yeah. only thing it really does by itself. But it's really, really neat and good in all the ways you can combine it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a boring one next just because I want to mention it uh we've got deduce this is one in a blue for an instant draw card and investigate which at bottom is just better think twice which isn't like that good these days just better think twice but <laughs> it does create a permanent in play for cheap this is really the only this is the first like decent two mana enabler that puts an artifact into play for creativity and I think that that is worth a look. Now it's you don't miles better than Secrets of the Key. That card is so bad. But yeah, that card is completely unplayable. This is this is a lot closer. And so I, I think it's at least worth a look. I I'm into it, and I will be probably trying to do 
bad stuff with this card. One thing that I am starting to get, like has started to get wheels turning in my head is that we have a cycle of lands with, you know, two land types in the set. So mm-hmm. oh, the full cycle, there's 10, all 10 of them in this one set and they come into play tapped and you surveil one when they ETB. So they're just like strictly better temples that surveil instead of scry and have the land types. And it's not quite enough to do Dwarven Mine in Pioneer, I think. But it's like getting closer. But uh, I I think we're just still not quite there for even a two-color deck to do Dwarven Mine unless you're like really heavy red with only some blue. But, you know, keep an eye out. I mean, you could go really deep and play the uh, the Dominaria tap lands, which also have land types. Yes, but... Wait, which ones are those? It's just like the Uncommon Cycle and Dominaria United. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can play those or... I mean, you can play Triomes. Like, you have enough. It's just... (laughs) Yeah. It's just that, you know, a lot of your lands come into play tapped if you want to actually make a reasonable amount of blue mana or whatever. So we're not quite there. That's why I think Fetch Lands and Dwarven Mine are kind of joined at the hip. Yeah. Yeah, they are. I, I mean, if we get... I don't know. There, there, there is probably not really a way to to make it work without stumbling on your mana, like basically constantly in even a two color deck. But I do want to creativity for Niv Mizzet per run one of these days, and so I'm <laughs> I'm keeping an eye out for lands with with two land types. Can we talk about the surveil lands real quick? Because this has been a topic of conversation. So there's ten of them in the set. Yep. They all, you know, they're like a shock land, but instead of paying two life. To make them kind of really untapped, you get to surveil one when they come into play. So they're just strictly better temples in yep. multiple ways. Yep. So long, temples. I, we, we, I probably won't miss you. So what's interesting about this cycle is that people are speculating that they are playable in modern because you can fetch them out. Like it gives you something to do with those dead turns where, you know, I know everyone listening to this podcast who's played Modern has had a turn in Modern where they just like have a fetch land, didn't use the mana, and they just fetch in a turn to get their land into play. So it comes to play tapped. Yep. If you do that with one of these lands, you get a free surveil out of it. I think that's I think that that will be a thing. I I was skeptical about Triomes and then they redefined Modern. Now Triomes are more powerful than surveil lands. But there are more turns where you can afford to get a tapped land with a fetch land than I had previously thought, and that was played out with Triumphs. And there's certain decks, Rhinos in particular, where I think it's a huge deal to be able to do this on your wasted mana turn. Yeah, I've also seen Merktide players been a proponent of this. Uh, it's actually kind of heated debate among Merktide players, actually, every time yeah. I've seen it come up. Like some people think it's really good because Merktide's a deck that really enjoys having extra cards in their graveyard. It's basically a graveyard focused deck. It just mm-hmm. hides it a little better than most. Like if they don't have their graveyard going, it's not doing anything. Oh yeah. I when back before the Fury ban playing Scam, I would bring in unlicensed hearse against Merktide, and they often just couldn't beat turn two unlicensed hearse. The the big the big cost of these lands is that they do come to play tapped. Mm-hmm. and so drawing the, uh, them is quite bad most of the time it's yeah. re- is is really bad even playing yagmoth i argued today about colony garden uh, I, i'm a big fan of colony garden 
Uh, mm-hmm. I like it a lot. It's really good quarter calling, but it is a land that comes play tapped, so it doesn't do anything really. The plant token does not have intrinsic value. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people cut it, some people play it, some people don't. Amusingly, I think Jarvis proposed playing the green black surveil land kind of in that slot or maybe it wasn't Jarvis, maybe it was someone else and that's just kind of where we are because you know you can fuel your cauldron if you want to mm-hmm. put it put a tap land in your deck and i think that's kind of the line a uh, land coming to play tapped in barn is kind of a big deal especially since the format's so fast like we were just talking about how good amulet and rhinos are and those decks are not slouches in terms of putting threats into play on turn three so you really have to balance how willing you are to draw this card in your first three turns versus how often you're really getting that value and it mattering Mm -hmm. and i don't know quite the balance where it'll be i think mostly the surveillance will not be played and they'll be like, oh, this person's playing a Thundering Falls in their Murktide deck. Isn't that neat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of. I think it'll be in that kind of territory. Yeah, I mean, I think that not all modern decks will want them, but certain categories of deck. Like, I think that it just is really good to have one in Rhinos. You waste a mana constantly in Rhinos, whether that's on turn two or, you know, Rhinos plays a Triome, and the Triome is, like, pretty whatever. It's pretty it, bad. It, it's just, like, because it's low cost, because you have a lot of turns where you're not using every single one of your mana, so you might as well get a three-color land into play. Yeah, you, like, and, Lorien revealed for it on turn two, and then play it. Yeah, and then, then you cast your dead gone or whatever, yeah. And so I think that this is largely better. And also, like, turn four, unless you're actually casting Subtlety, you're, like, basically never using your your fourth mana on turn four. If you keep a two-lander with, like, you know, a fetch land and another land, and then you don't hit a land on your first draw step, being able to get a surveil land as your second land to make it much more likely that you hit that critical third mana for Rhinos is really really like every if rhinos misses its third land it loses the game Mm -hmm. but if you can get a surveil land that like doubles your looks that turn at a land then that's i think that's a huge deal for a deck like rhinos yeah i I do think it's quite good in rhinos uh and it'll be fun to see what like which one or combination of two people would like to play (laughs) because yeah rhinos is a teamer deck you've got three dual lands to choose from Pick your battle. Yeah, that that has been yeah a discussion. I think it's probably the is it one just because of how the like turns of fetching play out and stuff, and like that enables your uh, cascaders a little better. But it's it's all like whatever you you can you'll figure it out after a little bit. Uh, relevantly, I don't think these will see plant pine here because that is yeah. a format without fetch lands and temples are really bad. Uh, even though these have the basic land types. Well, you'll just... at least replace your blue-green temple with that in Lotus Field. So I mean, I was already down to one Temple of Mystery. All right, sure. And and honestly, in that deck specifically, like, what if I reveal... What if I'm looking at an Omniscience? Nine, ten times out of ten, that card is going to the bottom. Yeah. But I can't just put it in the graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> Like that just stops my combo from working. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. All right. Yeah, maybe it's worse. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I was thinking about that when these got released. I'm like, yeah, I can finally not play Temple of Mystery. And I'm thinking about to all the times I've Temple of Mystery. And, you know, okay, most of the time it won't matter. 
but I definitely have Temple of Mystery into Omniscience or an, mm -hmm. a, another payoff card that I can't cast, but I do want in my deck. I'm just like, suck if that went to the graveyard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's funny. So even in the deck that currently plays a temple, I think probably still wants to play a temple. <laughs> also notably, uh, because these are the lands we're getting in standard, the enemy colored aggressive decks are still going to struggle with their mana bases. Hell yeah. Take that blue black. Blue black is fine. Blue black has dark side shores. <laughs> yeah. It's Hell. Boros that we're worried about. I'm not really worried about Boros. I yeah. don't want to get I don't want to get convoked upon. Let Boros worry about Boros. Yeah, Boros has a three-bin inspector now. All right, what, what's next? Lead uh, us. We've got, I mean, this is a standard card. We've got Deadly Cover-Up, three black-black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast a spell, you may collect evidence six. Destroy all creatures. If evidence was collected, exile a card from an opponent's graveyard. Then search its owner's graveyard hand and library for any number of cards with that name and exile them. That player shuffles, then draws a card for each card exiled from their hand this way. I It's just like kind of rare for black to just get a straight up wrath for five mana. And there are black decks that are just going to want this and it's going to see play because of that. And then there's going to be a reasonable number of games where you've played several turns. You have removal spells or whatever in your graveyard. You can collect evidence six and like, you know, you've swept their whatever a copy of whatever you don't want them to follow up with and you're making their deck a little bit worse when you cast it it's yeah this it's a fine card yeah I, I was thinking about this in a standard context and a lot of my standard context right now go through the slow Girk deck mm -hmm. uh, and this was one of the cards that actually kind of deals with slow Girk really well because even if they bounce <laughs> the one in play to their hand if they have one in their graveyard they're gone it's gone yeah <laughs> Uh, it also probably lets you keep up with other big decks is one of the things like, you yeah, know, your Traxes or their angels or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. You, you know, you just strip a bunch of their threats out of their deck. They've got an Atali in their graveyard. Now they don't have Atalis anymore and they probably can't beat you anymore. I, I think that putting a surgical on a wrath, it, it can can lead to some games that you just cast it and you feel like you can never lose. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of this card. Especially since it's a, a Black Wrath and those are so rare without some crazy condition attached to them. Right. The condition here is just it costs five mana, which in some metagames is not the most playable. But the the Black Disruption and Removal and like Keep Yourself Alive cards is are really good. It's really good right now. Cut Down is running standard. It is. Which the... the like, it's so good that I can't even feel bad. I, I played a bunch of matches post-board games against Jarvis on Mono Red today. And Cutdown is so good so often that I really just can't even feel bad the games where, like, my Mono Red opponent goes, Kumano faces Kakazan into two mana 3-3, three, three, and you're just like, oh, Cutdown is bad for once. Yeah, it's finally, like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I need it all. <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, speaking of five mana rats, can we talk about no witnesses? Yeah. So this is a four mana wrath. <laughs> uh, two white white for a sorcery each player who controls the most creatures investigates then destroy all creatures so this is kind of like your depopulate of the set uh, interestingly enough instead of having that like little condition where 
you know, it, the populate is if you control each player controls a multi color creature, draws a card. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to do anything. If they control a thing, they get a card. No witnesses is just unconditional. It's always going to kill everything. And if they have a bunch of creatures, which is likely because you're playing no witnesses in your deck, they get a clue, which means they have to spend mana to get that card back. Uh, and which means they're not going to do it immediately. So because they need to redevelop. Which puts a nice little strain on how the games will play out post No Witnesses, which is a really strong Mm -hmm. wrath effect. I think that, yeah, I mean, I think that certainly it will see play. It's a wrath that costs two and two white. And yeah, they get a card at some point and maybe that will be good enough to let them come back if the game continues to be grindy. But, you know, giving them the card immediately gets them one closer to their like, I'm going to cast this Adeline immediately after you wrath me and that's going to be a problem. It also just gives them choices, right? Like if if you wrath them and they draw the card immediately, mm-hmm. then they go to their turn, they draw a card for turn. They have at least three cards to choose from what to play. Yeah. And cutting that number down means that they don't know what exactly how they're supposed to sequence, like getting this two mana for a clue. Yeah. Yep. And I think it's fine. I have been like generally like when i played domain i wasn't running any copies of depopulate because four mana wrath didn't line up great against stuff and in particular wasn't a good companion to sunfall yes so that's the main problem sunfall is just so good yeah it just was trying to cover the same bases in a worse way and i was much happier with temporary lockdowns or spot removal to to back it up with so that's that's the main thing that makes me go eh, i mean it's a four mana wrath but do we really like at this exact moment do we really want that yeah the 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 way the format shapes up right now you can go early removal or interaction into uh, sunfall pretty consistently and that's just gonna be good a lot of the time Yep. You don't really need to worry about no witnesses. That said, for non-standard, I'm currently playing to populate in Lotus Field, and no witnesses is a lot better than that card. Sure. Yeah, because your opponent always has a Blood Tithe Harvester in play against exactly. you when you cast depopulate. Yeah. Or a 10th District Legionnaire, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Anything standing out to you? Yeah, I have a card I want to talk about, I, but I have to look it up because it's not on your list. Okay. Reenact the crime is the card I want to talk about. This is an instant that costs one and triple blue. So four mana. This is cryptic command type of speed and mana. Mm-hmm. Exile target non-land card in a graveyard that was put there from anywhere this turn. Copy it and cast the copy without paying its mana cost. So this is a very interesting card, and I'm not really sure how to evaluate it. Same. Because on its face, it is this weirdo zombify-esque thing, but you have to do like some setup with it. If you have four mana open and anything goes to the graveyard, you can get a copy of it. Now the copy is a token, so it can be bounced by Odawara or Serum Snare or whatever, I guess, and it will just vanish. So that is a downside of the card, but mostly you will be using this to try to cheat something specific into play. I have seen a lot of deck lists where you're using Rona or Malcolm or something like that to discard a card for free and then cheat out something really big. And that really big thing is uh, Portal to Phyrexia or the Sphinx that lets you cast 
spells for free if you collect enough evidence in the set, or uh, one with the multiverse, which is the little omniscience from the Brothers War. And this is this is like an aspirational goal to this kind of card. Mm-hmm. The problem I have with it is that it's so situational and it needs so many pieces that I don't think it's worth it. I think I agree. I especially think that jumping through hoops and then getting like, yeah, the that, you know, some seven mana creature or whatever into play, like, congratulations, you just built Zombify, which wasn't playable since Solar Flare, original <laughs> Ravnica days. Like, that isn't a good enough use of this unless the like doing it end of turn with rona at instant speed is like really contributing a lot of value to your plan or if and this is this is the place where i'm like hmm okay or if you're also just like ah you've discarded your atali this turn i will cast your atali from your graveyard then this is like kind of the sicko play with it you can also like piggyback off breach the multiverse you can yeah. get anything that was hit by breach the multiverse well, I mean, including not that they play, including the can breach also get that the they breach. cast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is like worse than countering breach the multiverse, probably much, but, much worse than countering it. Because you probably just milled yourself like you just got milled for 20. You might just die on your turn then. Well, that that's the sicko play is to let them breach, then breach them back, then get a Jace and mill them out. Ah, uh, of course, of course. Because <laughs> this this card does work with Jace. You can, you know, have a Jace in play minus it and then react yeah. the crime yeah I, yeah i do think it's generally like hard to hard it, you know you do have to have triple blue for it so you got to be really heavy blue that that is one thing you gotta um, mean it you gotta mean it and yeah it is kind of tough to pull off it's cute it it's a neat card design i'm like into it but i don't think that it's going to break through and actually like do anything but it is it is a neat little card for sure yeah and it, it gives you aspirations and it inspires brewing. And I think that that's great. It is the kind of card I think could have a shot if it weren't so blue intensive. Like it's one of those cards that could sneak in people being unprepared for it. And mm-hmm. someone figures out something crazy to do with it. But yeah. because it's triple blue, I find that very unlikely. Yeah, I, I think so too. It is kind of nice that it both is good like with Malcolm and they kind of cover, you know, Mal- yeah, you can like, get the free cast with Malcolm to yeah. cheat your big thing too, different like another way. Right, exactly. It's just like if things aren't working out for you, but they're not able to deal with your Malcolm, then you 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 get there eventually. It's a nice little like one two synergy side combo. Yeah, yeah. Your turn, your turn, CCR. Give me a card. All right, a delicious magic card. All right, I mean this one's really cute. I like Gleaming Gear Drake quite a bit. Maybe just because it's adorable, but this is. Blue red for a 1 1 flying artifact creature Drake. When it ETBs, investigate. And whenever you sacrifice an artifact, put a plus one plus one counter on Gleaming Gear Drake. You know, at its base, this is two artifacts for two mana. And then if you are doing stuff like if you're doing Anvil with this, then you can just make it very big, like very quickly. And it's giving you fuel for like Oni Cult Anvil. That is. Oh, Grixis deck, that's not the easiest thing to pull off, but, you know, uh, maybe you're making treasures and stuff somehow, too, and can kind of, like, patch things up that way. 
but generally, like, this is giving you two permanents, including one that can convert into a card. And if you're doing the stuff and you're able to sacrifice artifacts for other things, like, this is a real threat that gets there relatively quickly. And I think it just has a reasonable floor and reasonable ceiling. I think it, it could be good. I, I really like this card. I don't think it's quite good enough for Constructed. Yeah. It just mostly just because it's awkward colors. Like it's really hard to find that blue red mm -hmm. section like that is self-sufficient at sacrificing artifacts without pumping a million mana into sacrificing clues, which is kind of like this card wants you to do. But you really want to do it with only cool anvil because that's so much more mana efficient and such a better card. Uh, well, the ideal this. thing to be sacrificing is treasures because that costs negative mana to sacrifice. So if you're ever able to like do this with treasures, then it can get there like way quicker than any other way. Yes, but I don't think there's that many good treasure creators in the standard. No, like, there's not really. Like I know Strix, not Strixhaven, because that's where Prismari Command is. I know Streets of New Capenna has a bunch of treasure cards in it. That was like the set people were mad that treasures were everywhere. But mm -hmm. none of those cards are actually any good. <laughs> yeah, we're probably not playing Sticky Fingers in our standard deck. I'm not playing Sticky Fingers. I'm not playing Bootlegger's Stash. Mm -hmm. Just all this nonsense. <laughs> Ironically, this would probably be way better as a red-black card. <laughs> and would oh, have yeah. a home easily. But as a blue-red card, it is a very nice cube card. But I don't really oh, yeah. see it doing that much else. This is a sick cube card. It's a nice cube card. I don't know. There, there just is some potential there. It probably doesn't get there except for in a, like, fringe. Like, like there will be some fringe deck that includes cards like this, basically. Like, I tried to think of this card for blue-red, like, in Pioneer. But even in that format, uh, the Zoetic Glyph slice of the format is really taken hold of all the blue red artifact decks that mm -hmm. exist yeah uh, especially since inti is so good with a bunch of those anyway sure yeah i don't know what what is the best way like this this guy just wants treasures so badly i don't know what is the best way to make treasures to go along with him kind of similar category of card we've got crime novelist this is two and a red for a one three goblin bard Whenever you sacrifice an artifact, put a plus one, plus one counter on Crime Novelist and add a red. And, you know, this thing just is asking to be broken because it's adding a mana every time you sacrifice an artifact, which at the very least is like, you know, if you, you know, sandbagged a bunch of map tokens, you can crack all of your maps at once. So that's kind of cute. It also gold spans your treasures without making treasures but it does make your treasures all generate two mana and i don't know i don't know i don't think that this three mana one three ever actually gets there but it is promising some like real big ambitions it also has a semi infinite combo with animation module mm -hmm. it is a three card combo because you need some way to sacrifice a servo <laughs> yeah so if you can have a servo in play or an artifact creature uh, and anything that sacrifices a creature for free, you can, like a Woe Strider, you can sack the Servo, put a counter on the Crime Novelist, pay the mana that the Crime Novelist generates you into the animation module, make mm -hmm. a Servo, and then repeat. The issue is like starting it off, because if you want to just sacrifice an artifact, 
it kind of has to be like a treasure or a map or a clue or food, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because there's not a lot of ways to infinitely sack artifacts like turn after turn. Like only cold anvil only does it once. Right. If you want They've to been pretty sacrifice... careful about that. Yeah, like in the history of magic, I can name a very few ways to sacrifice as many artifacts as you can make in a turn. It's yeah. kind of just like Arcbound Ravager. Arc Ravager, Kark Clan Shaman, like just Yeah, Kark Clan Ironworks and Grinding Station, even. Yeah. Uh, and most of those cards are printed in the original Mirrodin block. They're right. So far away from being legal in Pioneer, because this card is not modern playable. No. And also modern, like, Pioneer doesn't include the, like, kind of tutoring stuff that would help enable this. You know, there's nothing along the line of, of like, Urza Saga for my animation module. Like, none of that kind of stuff. There's no Goblin Engineer type card in Pioneer or anything like that. We're going to figure out the Ravenous Intruder, Crime Novelist, Gleaming Geardrake deck in Pioneer and just crush some tournament with it. That's Oh, that's true. We do have an actual Atog, so. Yeah, it's a Gremlin. It's even better than Atog. Yeah. <laughs> Tough to make that guy playable in modern because it's not a very good standalone card. No, none of these cards really are. <laughs> no. I mean, the most compelling thing to me about Crime Novelist is that it does Goldspan Dragon your treasures. And like, you know, similar to the Drake, just treasures are very easy to sacrifice. And, and this guy could give you potentially a huge turn if you start with some treasures. And then I don't I don't know where the trick is finding there. where the treasures are, because Fable of Mirror Breakers is not a thousand good decks. Like it, It's not doing well, anything super unique or special. Yeah, and also finding like, other ways to generate treasure is really hard. <laughs> Fable generating the treasure is the goal anyways. Whenever Fable does generate the treasure, you probably won that game. Right. So it's it's like the big scores of the world and stuff that and, you know, we all know how much I dislike big score. Because it's terrific. Because it's not a good card. I was just going to quickly mention on the other end of the spectrum is uh, Anzrag's Rampage, which oh, is no. three red red for a sorcery. Destroy all artifacts you don't control. Then exile the top X cards of your library where X is the number of artifacts that were put into graveyards from the battlefield this turn. <gasps> you may put a creature card exiled this way onto the battlefield. It gains haste. Return it to your hand at the beginning of the next end step. This is perhaps the funniest way to keep the Thousand Moon Smithy deck in check if that deck ever becomes like a thing. And then you can just run Anzrag's Rampage to make it no longer a thing. Uh, There's no need for this card, but I I think it's very funny. I hate the flavor of this card because it is balancing. It's like balancing. You can't just build up a board of artifacts and cheat something into play. It only destroys things you don't control. Yeah. But Anzrag, the mole god, is clearly not going to make that distinction. <laughs> He's going to destroy all artifacts. He's not yeah. going to just not destroy this guy's artifacts. Like, come on. Anzrag's rampage is not going to be like, just rampage that side of the board, please. <laughs> Leave all of my treasures alone. Yeah, the there would absolutely be an aspiring spike deck built around like getting 15 artifacts into play and Anzrag's rampaging to look at the top 15 to find an Emrakul and then Emrakuling them. That that would exist if if this had that text. Yeah. I want to talk about Case of the Locked Hot House. Okay. Have we, have we talked about a case yet? No. I'm fine with cases. The way they read is like disturbingly unintuitive. Like they don't do the thing that reading the card would make you think they do. 
yeah, I think the the reminder text is extremely misleading. It but is. Once you get over that and you know what the card does, it, it makes sense. Yeah. The way cases work is that they all have some sort of effect, like as an enchantment, and then they all have a condition to solve them. So one of them is if you control three detectives, one of them is if you attack with three creatures, and so on. And then once you've met that condition, at the end of the turn, you solve it. So and that gives you that gives us an additional ability to the yep. card. So this is Case of the Locked Hot House. So it's a three and a green enchantment, four mana. That says you can play an additional land on each of your turns. That's a base that's the base effect. You get that on the house. If you control seven or more lands, it's solved at the end of your next turn. Once it's solved, you can look at the top card of your library at any time, and you can play lands and cast creature and enchantment spells from the top of your library. So you don't so get you, stuck with a case of the locked hothouse on top of your library that you can't yeah. clear. <laughs> uh, so basically this is a uh, exploration for four mana. Then later in the game, once you have seven lands, it becomes like a future side-esque card. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, and it's a future site, and still it's an exploration, which makes future site right. significantly more powerful because you, you can, can play two lands off two the top lands. of your library. Yeah, like I don't know where this goes, but the card itself is quite powerful if you're reliably have like if you just generally have a lot of lands in your hand for whatever reason, then this card does a ton of work. It just puts those lands into play and then gives you access to your whole deck. I think people think about putting this into domain mm-hmm. because being able to get to seven lands is kind of the point of the deck. Right. And then being able to cast Leyline Bindings off the top of your library is also pretty cool. Yeah, but the fail state of the deck is not hitting seven lands. And, and I think this just double, doubles down on that because this card doesn't I... do anything otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Domain. I don't I don't think it really works in domain as currently built. Like it just doesn't do it for me. Right. I don't think you can put this and invasion in the same deck. I think you need a deck that like I mean, what? Like mulch is legal and standard, right? Like mulch, this mulch and rain and seven are both legal and standard. Right. So I think you want a deck that is whether it's through exploring or mulch or whatever, just like has these lands in its hand and this just converts that into an enormous amount of value puts those lands into play and then turns itself on and you can start using your mana to cast spells from your library and you get to keep playing lands from the top of your library and i think that's what it requires is just when you cast it you usually have the three lands in your hand to finish the case i like this card but i don't really think it's costed correctly to see play like it it is powerful it reads powerfully but it i think it requires too many hoops to to solve the case to really get the most out of it because once you have four mana already what are you, i don't like... think it could cost three mana i think it would be way too good but well, I do we think... could probably tweak the solved so it doesn't do everything <laughs> maybe yeah sure okay but then you're not you know if it doesn't cast enchantments then you really don't need it in your leyline binding deck or whatever look if i had a three mana exploration that once I had seven lands, it flipped into like I could look at the top of my library and play lands with my library. I think that card would be very good. Yeah, <laughs> just just the land part. Yeah, I I I agree. And so probably this does just 
kind of have to cost four mana for standard. But yeah, it is really powerful. So if you have a deck that can make that work, then they're, the juice is worth the squeeze here, probably, as long as we have a, a good enough juicer. I think your, your fruit has to be quite fresh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> this metaphor has really gotten away from us. The fact that it can cast Leyline Binding off the top is kind of sick, though. Yeah, and, and Buried in the Garden, the card we mm-hmm. talked about last time. Well, Which buried in the garden is on top of this, but kind of the opposite of the way yeah, you want yeah, to be yeah. doing things but, with this kind removal, of deck. Removal enchantments. Sure. Let's you like buy time to play your lands and not they aren't dead draws once you have solved the case. Uh since we are here, and by here I mean on this page, I, I want to talk about a killer among us for one second. Okay. Which is this is clearly the set that was designed while R and D was playing Among Us. Yeah, in twenty twenty one. Yes, and because we're suspecting things, and this card says Among Us in the name. This is four on a green for an enchantment. When it ETBs, you create a 1-1 human, a 1-1 merfolk, and a 1-1 goblin, and then you secretly choose human, merfolk, human, merfolk, or goblin, and then you can sacrifice the enchantment, reveal the chosen creature type. If target attacking creature token is the chosen type, put three plus one plus one counters on it, and it gains death touch until end of turn. You know, this card is irrelevant but i just wanted to shout out i think it was rachel who pointed out in chat that this is exactly how investigations work if you can't find the right person then anyone of the correct race will do yeah yeah this is exactly what it is (laughs) sorry goblins you're marginalized so you're going to jail yeah, that, that's the funniest part about this card. It's yeah, I mean, it's a funny design, and the art is funny. And that, sh- a lot of the cards in the set are kind of like that, where they're just a pleasure to read. Mm-hmm. And they probably won't see any constructive play, but you know, you'll see them in limited and smile. Yeah, you know, I have a couple of s- simple role player ones, like you know, I, I I brought up deduce. We've also got galvanize which is one in a red for an instant deals three damage to target creature if you've drawn two or more cards this turn galvanize deals five damage to that creature instead it's a nice way to add some larger creature removal pretty efficiently into your is it deck in pioneer it is funny that yes it kills shieldred but you do have to take four in order to do it so i don't know that it really fills the role that you're hoping that it fills but you know two mana removal spell that kills a two or three mana creature and then also can kill a much larger creature when combined with a consider is is nice so a lot of the cards i want to talk about now are kind of like kind of out there kind of Mm -hmm. weird ones that's fine like for instance i really like world souls rage this is x red green for sorcery deals x damage to any target so fireball Uh, and then put up x put up two x land cards from your hand and or graveyard onto the battlefield tapped so you know in our theoretical mulch sure. case of the locked hot box or whatever <laughs> the card's called the deck uh this would be a nice one like yeah a little red and seven a little world souls rage I, I guess it is kind of a like backup version of that effect that like pays you for doing a bunch of mulching or whatever and then can like turn on your other expensive stuff that's in the deck i i think given that card that we just talked about like there might be a home for this uh, otherwise it's it's hard for me to see doing this but if you have sort of redundant I, what i like about serving, this card 
yeah exactly it's it's kind of like an enabler Mm-hmm. What what I really like about this card is it's both an enabler and a payoff. Like you cast yeah. the first one for like two, put two lands into play, yeah, or for three or whatever, and then the next one's for like seven, <laughs> right? Yeah, your next one just like kills them or whatever. Sure. So as long as we're doing something reasonable to keep up on board, uh, like maybe run in seven, who knows? Th- that that's kind of interesting to me. Well, we're gonna have to put we're gonna have to find some two Cheap mana cards, cards for no, this deck at I, I some refuse. point. Okay, we can put Deep Root Wanderer Wayfarer. Is that a is that a legal card? The oh, one the that surveils three? when it hits. You oh, the one that a, dies to cut down. Yeah, that yeah, one? yeah. That one. That okay, one. yeah. All our cards die to cut down. We're playing green. Wait, Ugh. hold on. <laughs> I was thinking we could just put some red removal in for two mana. Um, I mean, okay, that, that we could probably do that. <laughs> is cut down red? Cut down isn't red, but the the one mana red removal isn't like torch. The tower is a pretty decent card. Yeah, it's solid. We could go into a third color, play lightning helix, or cut down. Speaking of lightning helix, that is in the set. Lightning helix exists in Pioneer now and Standard. Yeah, if you're not familiar with Lightning Helix, it's absolutely incredible. <laughs> the card is just so much more powerful than it reads. Yeah. It's just a healing solve and a lightning bolt. How good That's could like, it be? I have, yeah. It is interesting. I don't know that it does a lot in like Pioneer. I think not that long ago, it would have been an interesting thing to start looking at like, ooh, maybe I should build my control deck to be Jeskai and put Lightning Helix in there and and uh, maybe some other red cards. But the fact that you have Get Lost as an excellent two mana removal spell in your blue-white deck really removes a lot of that need. Um, and so I'm not sure that that splash occurs in the same way. I mean, Lightning Helix is still going to see play in decks that happen to have white and red mana in it. And at least like, oh, yeah, I have two Lightning Helixes in my sideboard or whatever. Like, it, that's going to be a thing. But, uh, you know, removal across all colors, there, there's there been time for a lot of those slots to get filled. And so it's a, a little less necessary to, ooh, a Lightning Helix. But it, in standard, like specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's a deck that can cast this card, it will. Yes. <laughs> and the the mana isn't the best for the enemy colors, but yes. you know, this is this is also a card that you know, like domain could run as its two man. It could if you're rebuilding the deck a little bit, you could be like, yeah, I just want to put lightning helixes in my deck. And as long as toxic isn't the aggro deck that you're worried about, then it's pretty good. Uh, we play. What is that? Boarded window now for the toxic deck? Uh, of course, of course. <laughs> so they can never beat me. I have immortal serum snare. No, that's illegal. <laughs> Why would you do such a thing? <laughs> uh, I'm kind of into case of the crimson pulse. This is kind of a classic like top red top end card advantage card. This is experimental two... frenzies of the yeah. Wind. Two and a red for an enchantment for a case. When it ETBs, discard a card, then draw two cards. To solve, you have no cards in hand. And solved, once it's solved, at the beginning of your upkeep, you discard your hand and then you draw two cards. Um, It is hard sometimes to have no cards in your hand. You need to have like zero other three mana cards in your deck in order to make this work. And you probably want your deck to be like almost all burn spells to make this work. But in a world where you can put that deck together, that's like 
kind of great potentially this is like a terrifying thing to have going you're drawing three cards a turn when this is going yeah it's it's pretty awkward that you you have to have no cards in hand at the beginning yes. of your end step to solve it yes like it's not like a lot of the other ones where you know you you can't attack with three creatures during your end step so it just sees that you've attacked with three creatures and then you get to solve it this one's not as generous oh you mean because it like you yeah if you it, ever had zero cards in hand during your turn if it like somehow triggered off of that that then yeah yeah that's true if if this if you only had one card and this you would discard that card hit zero cards draw your two and then it would like right. register that yeah that would be really powerful because it would like mostly flip itself the turn you cast it that is how i thought it worked when i first read it and gotcha. like, well, I, that seems a little too good i don't know about this one <laughs> yeah right so this thing pretty much demands that most of your cards cost one mana and like none of your other cards cost three mana but if and, and and so you probably want something else that because because this can't be your only payoff for being able to dump your hand so fast you, you need like something else that that's kind of rewarding you for that you can't just be like a lot of shocks and only win the games where you draw a case of the crimson pulse you, you need something else there but like this In is a really good card that works with that like that's it's a true. way to discard cards to convert them to damage especially mm -hmm. if you draw like two case of the crimson pulses you can get rid of one early for a counter and then use the last one to draw cards yeah because this does have the the little season pyromancer trick where if you play it as your last card you just draw cards straight yeah. up you don't have to discard any yeah i mean this is a three mana red card that all it does is draw cards it doesn't do anything else it just puts cards into your hand in various ways but it can put when done properly an enormous number of cards into your hand and as long as you can keep converting those ideally into just damage to your opponent's face then it's just gonna kill your opponent and i, I think that's pretty strong it's there's definitely room for it to be good i yeah. just lack how to rebuild these red decks to include it i lack the imagination i mean is there is there any room for this in like modern burn like modern burn now is I, just so cares? many modern lightning bolts but what if what if this is the thing that makes it not suck right i don't think modern burn cannot suck starting on turn three yeah that's probably true <laughs> that's when everyone else kills you yeah yeah you're not wrong all right another case case of the stash skeleton one in a black, one of ETBs, create a 2-1 black skeleton creature token and suspect it. It has menace and can't block. To solve, you control no suspected skeletons, which is a fantastic line of text. And when it's solved, you can pay one in a black and sacrifice this case. Search your library for a card, put it into your hand, then shuffle, activate only as a sorcery. Basically, this is a slight, a reasonably overcosted 2-1 menace that eventually draws you a demonic tutor once you get rid of the skeleton yeah once it's once the skeleton dies you draw a demonic tutor but so you can't block with the skeleton you can't block with the skeleton you probably need to be a sacrifice deck to get that skeleton gone i, I think it's unlikely that just an aggressive deck that keeps attacking is gonna want to do this an aggressive skeleton deck isn't there in chat that 
There's that enchantment in Exelon, right? They give skeletons plus one plus zero and haste. That's, that's true. I can make a skeleton deck in standard. We're getting so close. A, yeah, a skeleton token deck specifically. <laughs> yeah. This is potentially a pretty decent amount of value for one card, but I do question like how often, you know, if we're thinking about like, ooh, Pioneer Sacrifice. Like, can you really fit in this two mana, two one menace? What's our powerful card we're demonic tutoring for? Well, it's like, giving you more mayhem devils. Yeah. Okay. That's I mean aspirational, but ugh, that does not feel good enough. It doesn't it doesn't feel good enough to me either, probably. It just it it's like a I don't know. I wouldn't be like super surprised if it turns out like, yeah, this works. I want that to one. It'll die. And then I demonic for something good. Like, especially it's, it's not, not that crazy because sacrifice is so much better when it has a mayhem devil in play. It's just a completely different deck when it has a mayhem devil. So that's kind of the type of place that I would look for at first. The fact that this costs two mana and like, isn't contributing a lot for a while until you put another two mana into it after the thing dies is not great. The two one is basically unblockable, so it it, it is going to start chipping in until you finally manage to get rid of it. But yeah, but how much will it matter, really? I I this card appears to me to be too clunky to really work, but I I could be convinced if you show me right. a, a deck and make it work. See, I think if I saw it in a deck list right now i would suspect that the deck is misbuilt yeah so i mean just show me some games with the deck and show show <laughs> it working to me is what i mean okay okay i i i, I gotta see the work this one doesn't this one doesn't it, hit it for me it feels too clunky to me. the fact that to get the benefit out of it you got to put four mana into it and and jump through some hoops it, it's i don't know also if you you have a case of the stash skeleton out. You really can't cast a second case of the stash skeleton because then you have to kill two. You have too many suspected skeletons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have Thank too you. many skeletons in your closet. Too suspicious and too spooky out here. But then you prompt them to you know wipe the board because you have too many skeletons. That are, I mean, that's a lot of damage. So fast. That's very similar to one gut trigger. Oh, the four one skeleton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't Listen, know we were including cube cards lee i don't know if you've gutted or or been gutted but well i've certainly gutted yeah it's that's a lot of damage really fast yeah it guts great yeah it's the, also the largest skeleton you've ever seen it's so big <laughs> you don't even need that plus one plus oh enchantment to make it a, an absolutely murderous skeleton how is there possibly no meat on this thing's bones it's got four <laughs> power <laughs> Um, you want to finish it up with the last case? Sure. The case of the uneaten feast. Yes. So this is a white mana case enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield or under your control, you gain one life. To solve, you've gained five or more life this turn. And once you've solved it, you can sacrifice it and cart creature cards in your graveyard gain. You may cast this card from your graveyard until end of turn. Are, is this on the list because of the Amalia implications that I've heard about from a lot of people? Or is this something more you've thought of? Yeah, almost exclusively because of that. Okay. If you want so, a soul, soul Warden, this is most of a Soul Warden. Except that it doesn't, it doesn't trigger your other Soul Wardens and it doesn't get hit off of a Collected Company. Which are both knocks. 
but it also doesn't die to sweepers. And then it potentially represents like quite a bit of value. I mean, gaining five life like in a mallard generally is I have comboed this turn. And then yeah. this is like I I have a rally the ancestor, you know, or a, a return to the ranks like locked up for whenever. But there are, you know, foods and stuff can help you get there when you really need to. And it's it's like not impossible. Like I, I, I think that this one is one that you must try in Amalia at least at the very least. I think this doesn't end up getting there in Amalia because it's like kind of win more. I, like there's not a good way to gain a bunch of life in one turn right now unless you're killing them. Or, you know, comboing off and they can stop you. I see, I don't think that's actually true because I think you can gain more life if there is a payoff for it. So I think so that like so you crack, you know, you you make a food at the end of their turn with your goose, oh. and then you crack two foods on your turn, and now this is solved. And in a game that was, like, grindy and going long, now you've turned this into a, a return to the ranks. A card that does something. Yeah. Not not exactly a return to the ranks, because it doesn't put everything into play that you want. Right, but you don't need that. Like, this is still in play, so you only need a Wild Growth Walker and an Amalia, and that's a combo. Because this is your Soul your, Warden. Your case, yeah. Or, oh, yeah, I guess you have cracked your case, so... Yeah, you need a, yeah, a you do need a, and an Amalia. Right. So you, you do need, like, all of the pieces, but off of a card that is serving as a Soul Warden for most of the time, like, that's a pretty decent chunk of additional value, potentially. I don't know if it gets there, but there's a lot of game states where I think this is significantly better than a Soul Warden, especially in games where they have their hate against you. And, you know, they cast a Sweeper, and this stays in play. And that's pretty different from a Soul Warden effect. Yeah, that's true. I I will be trying it out. I don't expect it will end up in mm -hmm. the final copy. But I want to talk about the real home for this deck. Okay. Which is Martyr in Modern. <laughs> okay. We did see a Martyr deck do pretty well, at least in day Top one. Top 64 oh, in Ghent. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It somehow uh, beat Tron, which is impossible because that, that deck that... doesn't have a clock. Feels like a zero percent matchup to me. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, I, it's not possible. But this card's great. It lets you use your graveyard. Other than that, uh, four mana enchantment that bring her the, the enchantment that brings up martyr. Mm -hmm. It's perfect. You you always gain five life. It's another soul warden, which only barely matters. Uh, mostly, it's just like let's use your graveyard. Which finally, you can recast your solitudes and your other good cards. It'll be great. Yeah, the fact that you can, you know, cast a couple of creatures and evoke your solitude the turn that you cast from your graveyard, the turn that you yeah. cast this is really nice. Yeah. It's really nice. Great. <laughs> Finally, we've broken solitude. Yeah. I mean, no one's playing it in modern. It clearly was waiting for something. <laughs> um sure. Great. I martyr away. <laughs> All right, that's that's it. I think we finished the preview show. <laughs> <laughs> we really went out on a bang here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash MTG Grindcast. I'll, I'll post some more stuff this weekend, and we will have some pretty adorable tokens going out very soon. So, you know, get on that if you're interested. We do really appreciate all of 
are ongoing and new patrons uh y'all are awesome and if, you know if you can't support that's totally fine too the show is free we like making it and we like that people want to listen to us so thank you yeah i'm gonna be at nurse q this weekend in fayetteville just buying my slow deck you know yeah gotta gotta keep representing the unwinning rcq portion of this podcast <laughs> well the uh deciding not to top eight your rcq portion of this topic of, of this podcast yeah the really experiencing standard portion of this podcast <laughs> i've been playing online quite a bit no I, no you've, you've played way more standard than i have but i have continued you're I've, in, the, I've, in the trenches i really want to keep playing rcqs there I've, I've had a lot of fun with them yeah, I cannot, so I did lock in. I, I bought a plane ticket and am making plans to head to uh, Chicago. MC Chicago, where I will be probably playing the 75K, although there is a part of me that just wants to go and like interview people and do deck techs and make video, make little videos of on the scene and stuff. Yeah, you could do that. You could play side events, win a big magic card. Well, so... I think if I don't play the 75k, I will be playing very little organized magic in an attempt sure. to just kind of be running around and getting as much, you know, recording done as possible. Putting the grind in the grind cast. Yeah. Make a TikTok. <laughs> make a couple of TikToks. You still got a little bit of time to figure it out. Yeah. It's going to be really difficult for me to resist just playing in the tournament the main thing that makes me resist playing in the tournament is that it is a 150 dollar entry fee on top of your uh paying to get into the event yeah you've already got a t- plane ticket like well, come on yeah i mean you're not wrong you have the deck already you're good to go hey i still need a fairy mastermind and some no. i'm sure <laughs> chicago has a fairy mastermind god i hope so i'm not gonna bet on it i'm gonna try to find it beforehand well, yeah, but I know North Carolina is not a very mastermind. There's just none in stock anywhere. <laughs> All right, that's it. Thank y'all so much. Have a great week. Bye. <laughs>